Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. This is Jay Harrington. I'm here with Tom Nixon. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jay. How are you doing? Good, good. Good. Uh, So today, Tom, Let's talk about an issue that's been fairly top of mind for us these days, which is, I guess I'll, I'll describe it as sort of the interplay between thought leadership and public relations, and just more generally, um, issues related to gaining visibility through different channels that are available uh, to lawyers to, you know, gain, again, gain visibility, uh, burnish the reputations, become known as thought leaders. So let's start just by maybe giving some framework to this discussion and think about the different ways that a lawyer or a law firm can think about, again, gaining visibility and profile um, among the audiences that they're trying to reach. Um, So how do we, you know, the, the, the internet, if we just think about it in those terms, plus the traditional uh, media and publishing landscapes. It, it's a lot to think about. How do we wrap our minds around thinking about the different channels uh, through which a lawyer can uh, be visible to those they're trying to reach? Yeah. <clears throat> I always say that the problem is not that we don't have enough ways to reach our audiences. It's that we almost have too many ways. And so <clears throat> it creates some, uh, like a lack of clarity at where to start or where to focus one's efforts because it's like the wild, wild west, depending on where you are. There's just so much activity going on. And I find sometimes it's, it's a useful framework to go back in time and to establish kind of how we got to this point where it was this messy landscape that everyone's trying to navigate and make sense of. And by doing that, I think it helps clarify where an attorney or a law firm should be focusing their, their efforts and how they can maximize all of these platforms. Maybe not all of them, but understanding which are the ones to focus on. So if you'll indulge me, Jay, I'm going to go back in time to when I got started in this, whatever this industry is now, um, back in the early 90s. So I'm the elder statesman on the call. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's taking us way back, Tom, but yeah. I'm, I'm willing to go there. Okay. I had hair and grunge was sweeping the nation. And, <laughs> um, and I was just getting into a career in public relations and I kind of got into it by accident. But um, it was an interesting time. If you think of historically how companies and individuals, if they wanted to get a, a marketing message out to a market, Back then, in, in the years and decades prior, the options were way fewer than what we look at today. Like if you think of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, there was maybe a handful of television stations, there was radio, there was newspaper, magazines. And that was about it, right? And billboards and things like that. But in terms of the, the media that consumers were, were going to and turning to, it was relatively few choices. In if you wanted to get a message out to the masses, you would simply pay to get your message placed prominently in the media that people were already listening. So they're already watching TV, so you would buy a commercial or they're listening to the radio, you would buy ads on radio or you'd buy ad space in the newspapers and magazines. And so what you were doing is you were paying for attention. And that's really how it, this all began. And um, 
when PR emerged, it emerged almost as an alternative to paying for media. And this is how we used to pitch it in the 90s when we were going after new clients is, you know, we'd say that certainly you can pay for exposure. Um, and the beauty of paying for exposure is once you get it, you're able to say pretty much anything you want to say within, you know, legal realms. Um, you can say you're the best, you're the greatest, right? You can say you have the best product at the lowest price, all of this stuff. And you can pay for it, but that comes at a cost. And, you know, you have to understand the mindset of the consumer who would fast forward past commercials, would turn the station on the radio when a block of commercials came on, or they would flip through a newspaper or a magazine and they're, they're there to read the articles. They're not there typically to look at the ads unless it's like a fashion magazine or something like that. Right. So you could pay just to have, you know, say exactly what you want to say. But if the audience is fast forwarding or changing the channel, then what good have you done? And we would say as PR practitioners, wouldn't it be better instead of to buy real estate around the story, wouldn't it be great to actually be in the story or actually be the story in what we would say and what we would pitch as an alternative to advertising instead of paying for it, let us earn the coverage for you. Right, so there's paid media and now there's earned media and we will position you for interview. We will get them to carry your content, maybe unfiltered through the form of an article, uh, or we would get media to write stories specifically about the things that you're doing, in you know, cases you've won, whatever it might be. So that's what I got into this business to do, which was to help clients earn media as opposed to, or in addition to paying for media. And then not long after, so about the mid 90s or so, the internet became marketable once World Wide Web sort of took hold and you know, internet browsers were invented and now there emerged a new kind of media, third kind of media, which is owned media, right? So these are the things now that any company or business or individual can own and they become their own publishers. So they can create a website or they can create a marketing email these are owned media that, again, you have complete control over and you can say anything you want to say on it and often do, you know, we have the best products, we have the best service, we have the best people, we do it at the best price, whatever it might be. You own the media and can say anything you want. And so everyone became publishers. It took some kicking and, you know, dragging and screaming and stuff initially, but now everybody has these things and they consider them just, you know, boxes to check in the marketing arsenal. Things have emerged like, podcasts and blogs and things. So the owned media continues to grow, but that's a third category of media for people to consider. <clears throat> and not long after owned media was born, shared media emerged, a fourth kind of uh, a medium, which is things like social networks. So these are things that we don't necessarily own, but we all participate in. They're owned by another party, right? They're owned by the Facebooks of the world or Twitter, but all of the content and all of the uh, real estate is shared by the members of these platforms. The great thing about these shared platforms as different uh, as opposed to owned media is that as much as we'd like it, it's unrealistic to expect that our target market is going to go to our website every day or read you know, open and read all of our emails. And they're gonna devote their time to our owned media. That's the perfect world, but it's not reality where people do spend their time is on these shared platforms, right? And it's our job as marketers and as thought leaders to take a share of their time and attention away from a shared platform and get them onto an owned platform. So what I've just described is sort of the history of media and media consumption, but what it's referred to in our industry is the PESO model. PESO is obviously an acronym standing for paid, earned, shared, and owned. And the trick as marketers, and now I'm finally wrapping up my TED Talk, Jay, <laughs> to have you respond to this, is that our goal and our charge as marketers is to analyze the peso model 
and to not do all of it because that's practically impossible, but to understand where is the greatest intersection of the most effective channels in that peso model to create a recipe that's going to maximize an attorney's exposure in front of their key audiences. And that's what thought leadership allows you to do. It picks from all of the elements of everything I just mentioned, which is owned media, websites and blogs, uh, earned media, uh, you know, interviews and publication of our thought leadership, as well as shared media, and you're sharing this media, this thought leadership on things like LinkedIn and perhaps Twitter or websites. And maybe there's some paid element as well, or maybe it's distinct from the thought leadership program. But that's what the peso model is, and I think that's what attorneys and law firms need to embrace. And if you look at it through that prism. I think that makes sense of this crazy wild, wild west, because now we're understanding that there's elements of all of this stuff that blend together, but it doesn't have to be everything to all people. Yeah, Tom, that was great. That was very comprehensive and, and I think will help to, uh, again, frame this issue up for, for our audience. And I, I don't know, I don't have a ton to add to that. I think you really covered it well, other than just, you know, thinking about these categories of, of um, media Certainly, you know, we're going to talk today a lot about earned media, the E in, in peso. Um, and, and one of the reasons why that's important is because that sort of media tends to be more credible, like as opposed to paid, right? Where people are smart enough to understand that if you are, if you as a lawyer or a law firm are being featured in, a, in an article that's written by a reporter, edited by an editor, and got through to publication, then it, it probably means that there's some, uh, there's, there's some reason to pay attention to that. You have something meaningful to say. Um, you've, you're for, as a firm, have accomplished something important. Whereas, you know, with paid media, when there's a place for that, the, there's, the only thing stopping you from getting that coverage is writing a, writing a check, oftentimes a big one. Yeah. Um, so the credibility factor in earned media is, is big, and that's why it's important. Um, and the other interesting thing, I think, when you think about these categories is if we think about owned media, so sort of your own platforms that you're building, and, and maybe we should talk, I mean, those, those platforms might include anything from you know, a law firm website to an individual attorney's blog, to a podcast, to a video series, to a webinar sort of interview platform. Um, all of these things in today's market, the, the lines being blurred between company owned media and traditional media as well. And there are, there are businesses out there who have built plat owned platforms that rival traditional media, I would argue, especially in different niche markets. So, you know, you think about companies like American Express and their small business sort of blog and website. It's, you know, is that a, is that a media uh, outlet or is that, you know, a content marketing outlet for, for American Express? I mean, it's, it's super popular. Um, the, the content's outstanding and it really, you know, focuses on the audience and not on American Express. It's, it's become essentially a, a media platform. Um, and there's many other examples of that. And there's individual lawyers who have built blogs, for example, that um, are as widely read as an, any media publication analyzing uh, different legal issues, particularly in, in, in niche markets. Um, you know, there's great, the SCOTUS blog comes to mind thinking about analyzing Supreme Court cases and their ramifications. So, um, so these are, you know, th this, this framework is one that um, you know, again, it, it's really just contributing to the decline or the, or the blurring of the line between what we used to think of as legacy traditional media and, and businesses that are competing in the marketplace of ideas. 
Um, so Tom, let's dial in on the, again, on the E in peso, which is earned media. And let's, because I think a lot of, for a lot of lawyers, you know, the idea of how to, you know, they know how, they know, they know how to maybe go about writing a blog post and, and getting that published. But the idea of going out and trying to earn coverage um, in the traditional media landscape is probably a bit confusing and um, daunting, and they wouldn't know, necessarily know where to start. Um, so I think the starting place, and, and you know, let me know if you agree with this or not, though, is, is with, with a really good idea. And I want to distinguish that from the way that a lot of lawyers or law firms think about PR as a function, which is you know, the idea that in order to generate coverage from the media about the law firm, for example, you need to be pitching news about the law firm. But I think that's probably the, the uh, exact uh, wrong way to go about things in most cases. There are times where law firms generate news. You know, they might have had a significant um, victory in a case that's high profile. Um, they might have a very important new initiative that they're launching. But, you know, if we try to stand in the shoes of a reporter, and which I think is what you need to do when you're thinking about earned media, that's oftentimes not considered news to the, the reporter's uh, readership, which is what that reporter cares about. So if you stand in the shoes of a reporter, what really matters and what, what, what you really want to do when you're thinking about this is, is how do I um, help the reporter do his or her job better by you know, bringing them an idea that they can write a story about? And it might have nothing to do with our law firm. It just might have to do with a kind of a national trend or trending news that's happening elsewhere. And you as a lawyer or a law firm can bring an idea to them and help them to understand, you know, some of the nuances of that issue. And for example, how to make that national story a local one. Um, so when we think about this, it's really about formulating those good ideas and, and I just want to emphasize those ideas oftentimes have nothing to do with, with your law firm itself if you're hoping to gain coverage in the media because the person or the, or the organization that brings the idea to a reporter, they're probably going to be the person who's cited as the subject matter expert as a source for the reporter as they're writing that story. So I don't know what you think about that, Tom. Yeah, it's absolutely true. We used to tell, again, dating myself back in the 90s, I would always caution clients that there's there's two stories to tell. Actually, the, the third story is the one that's going to get told. So the first story is what the client, our client or lawyer in this case, wants to tell, which is I'm an expert. I'm the expert. You should hire me. I mean, when you get down to it, that's really what we want, right? On the complete other end of the spectrum is the story that the reporter is obligated to tell. And it's he, he or she is obligated by an editor and by readership to deliver either insights, conflict in many times, you know, you can see plenty of that in the media these days, conflict, conflict resolution, um, you know, hero's journeys, David versus Goliath. These are all the things that a reporter not only enjoys writing about, but is beholden to write about in many cases. So that opposite end of the spectrum is the story that the reporter wants to tell. And our job as PR practitioners is to find the acceptable middle ground. 
which is a story that the reporter wants to tell that positions our client in such a way that the takeaway from that is I've just heard from a subject matter expert that I should consider hiring at some point. This is what thought leadership is all about, right? Is to position attorneys not as celebrities, but as thought leaders. And so a celebrity might get a story written about them. The thought leader is positioned to opine on a story that is of import to an given audience. So that's what we're trying to do. I echo and agree with your, your take completely is that we need to come up with the idea that the reporter is easy to say yes to. And that's often not, you should write about my firm or you should write about this person that we should, we just hired. It's reporter, you cover a beat. Um, there's a significant development happening in your beat, a significant trend that your readers are really going to be impacted by. You might not know about it. You may have heard about it and don't understand you know, the nuance of it, I'm here to explain why it's important and to demystify it and get rid of the complexities so that your readers will A, be uh, captivated by the, the subject matter, but also will take away something that they can apply to their own personal problem or something. If you can start with that idea, then the reporters are will, will come knocking down your door because they're going to consider you a conduit to the very audience that they're trying to attract. And they're going to, as you suggested, they're going to be the person that gets interviewed or cited in the article and maybe perhaps even invited to write an article about a particular piece of, you know, topic, whatever it might be. And you see this all the time when companies come looking to hire PR firms, usually it's a gripe And the gripe is our competitors are always getting interviewed by the same uh, reporter. And anytime they write a, uh, about a topic, they interview the same person and it's our competitor. Well, that's not by luck. That's been, again, here's the E in peso that's been earned. And so thought leaders need to earn the seat at the table. And you do that by providing, again, going back to what you said, the formulation of a great idea is where it all starts. Yeah. And, and to that point of, you know, that issue of the same experts, whether it be in, in the legal space, consulting, accounting, you, you name it in any professional service, you do see the same people getting quoted over and over. And, and like, like you said, Tom, those people have earned that privilege and, and that benefit. And part of doing that, though, is, you know, they didn't, you know, again, they didn't just sit back and wait and, and some, some reporter called. They're, they're going out into the marketplace. They're sharing their ideas. They're connecting with reporters on social media. They're, you know, reaching out and complimenting reporters on work they've done that perhaps they, you know, the, the lawyer or the, or the source has nothing to do with. They're developing relationships. It's, you know, it's the same principles that apply in business development, apply in working and trying to gain visibility with the media. Um, you really can use the same approach in, in many respects, just contextualize for what you're, what you're trying to accomplish. So there is not, you know, there's not some magic here. It's not just luck. It's hard work. Uh, but once you get, you know, once you get the flywheel turning, so to speak, um, then, you know, this, you know, reporter on one beat uh, in another market on, on the same beat that you're getting covered in, in, in New York, um, the same type of reporter in DC then starts calling you that kind of thing. So it's, uh, there is that flywheel effect to, to PR just as there is with other aspects of marketing. Yeah. Especially if you could make it as easy on the reporter as possible. <clears throat> By easy, I mean, be available. So when the phone call, when the phone rings or the email comes in, responding quickly right away. But again, as you uh, suggested, proactively bringing content to the doorstep of the reporter. These newsrooms are stretched. If, 
incredibly thin. They always have been, but even now we're suffering from not only the modernization of media, so everything's digital and newsrooms have just been cut, but on top of that, we're getting through a pandemic where even additional furloughs and layoffs, which a lot of which may be permanent, has really stretched whoever's left. They don't have time to go out and research stories anymore or to become experts. So if you can be that person that does that for them, they're going to thank you. They're going to turn to you. And they're going to, again, they do call the same people for a reason. It's not because they know that those people are the smartest. They haven't vetted every potential expert out there. It's because those people are making it very easy on them to get their yeah. job done. Yeah. All right, Tom, let's cover one last issue here, which is how to, you know, how to think about pitching a reporter uh, with an idea and, and what, they're, what the reporter's looking for. Again, back to this idea of, of standing in the shoes of a reporter. So in, I think I'm going to just kind of describe a couple of things and then maybe have you weigh in on it. Um, but there, there's, a, there's several ways to think about it, but two, two of the most important would be all right, if there's, a, if there's a national news trend going on that's, that's widely relevant, um, just sort of jumping on the bandwagon of that national news trend and trying to pitch an idea to a reporter on that basis is probably not going to have all that much impact. What reporters at traditional media publications in your individualized market are looking for is how to take that national trend and make it applicable and interesting to their local markets, right? So one of the ways to think about it is localizing the news for reporters. And then another way would be, especially if we start thinking about, you know, a lawyer has a particular niche specialty, say in, a, in, a, in an industry, say the pharmaceutical industry, just by way of example, there's a whole network of trade media that serves that marketplace specifically. So what those reporters are going to be looking for is ways to contextualize, uh, contextualize national news for their niche audience. So localize and contextualize. Can you, can you talk about those two concepts a bit, Tom? Yeah. And I think it goes right back to what we talked about earlier, which is what is the reporter's charge or the media, the media outlet that you might want to pursue? What, what are they, obligated who are they obligated to and what are they obligated to deliver and it's all about the impact of that readership so if you think of the market i live in the detroit news they cover national media but the local reporter needs to like you say distill all of that this broader trend into how does it impact detroiters or southeast michigan people um or you know, you can, that's one way to localize it is geographically. The other is what you suggested in terms of contextualizing. You can localize it vertically, which means, yes, there's a massive pandemic that's going around that is affecting everybody. But I happen to uh, edit the Restaurant Review magazine. And what I care about and what my readers care about is how this impacts restaurateurs and what are the implications and what are some of their workarounds to deal with this pandemic? So it's not, in, in, this is a, a, a tendency to be avoided that um, I've heard others mention, they've recognized it as well, is that it's not the lawyer's job to report on the news, which is kind of the instinct, right? Is to like say, here's what's happening. Well, all the other media are already covering what's happening. What the lawyer needs to do as a thought leadership or a thought leader is to could um, make sense of what that means and analyze what the next steps are and how to um, process that news in a way that maximizes some goal or objective that they have. So if you don't 
localize or contextualize, localize ver vertically is what I like to say, in uh, for the reporter, then they're not going to consider you as a source because their obligation is not to you as a source. It's, their obligation is not to the entire world. Their obligation is to a very narrowly defined niche. It could be geography or it could be vertical industry. And that's how you need to approach your pitch. Yeah, agreed. Uh, all right. But you. I just wanted to go back to something that yeah. you touched on, but I want to make sure we, we close the loop on it, which is this peso model. Mm -hmm. so why this works? Because I think in each letter of the peso, you know, so P-E-S-O, there's, there's benefits and there's drawbacks and there's trade-offs. And the beauty of maximizing the blend of a peso model is that you account for all of the benefit and you mitigate against all of the drawbacks. So for example, I said paid media is great because you can say anything you want. The problem is it comes at a cost. And the other problem is people will ignore it or, you know, either by fast forwarding or just assume that, well, this is paid. Yeah, of course, they're, they're saying they're the greatest in the world. Earned media then offsets that because, as you mentioned, there's an implicit endorsement of you as a thought leader, as an expert, because you've gotten through the, the gatekeeper. The offset to that is you can't always say or don't get as accurately quoted as we'd like. They don't, you know, take the full context of your remarks. A reporter will grab sound bites. And so oftentimes you might find that you are either misquoted or underquoted. That probably matters more in your eyes than it does in the audience. You know, they don't know what you tried to say. They only know what was quoted and they still think of you as an expert, but there's that offset, right? You can earn the reputation and all of the stuff that goes with earned media, but you can't always say exactly what you want to say exactly how you would say it. But that's where own media comes in is now you have a platform to be your own publisher with no filters. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to filter it through a, a third party. You can say anything you want and you can do so at great length. You can write a 2000 word article or a 5,000 word white paper because you own the space. The offset to that is, well, not everyone spends their time on your website or signing up for your newsletter or reading your white paper because they're more distracted by these centers of influence like social media or trade magazine websites or associations, these things that we share. So that's where the eyeballs are. That's where we need to go. So again, there's all these opportunities in each one of these quadrants, paid, earned, shared, and owned, but there's also limitations to all of them. So if you need to embrace the positives and you need to account for the limitations, and I'll give you an example of what I mean and then hand it back over to you, is that there's, this could all work as one thing. So if we have a great idea, we don't need to necessarily start with pitching it to a reporter. We can write, have the attorney write a blog post that we know is going to get publication on our blog, get, uh, live on our website, get distributed in a newsletter. And we're going to get that out to our closest held confidants because they're on our distribution list. So we have this great owned piece of media, but it's also potentially the subject of a great earned piece of media. You can send this to a reporter and say one of two things, either this is something that's going on in our industry and I think you should write about it and I'd be happy to talk to you about it. Again, you're offering yourself for interview or you can say, you know, before I publish this on my website, would you want to publish this in your website and I'll give it exclusively to you and not to any other competitor. So now we have the same piece of content and it's going to eventually live in our own channels, but it might start out as in an earned channel. And then we can go to our shared media and we can link to either the earned piece or our own piece on LinkedIn or probably do both or Facebook or Twitter or wherever our constituents spend their time. And so now we're maximizing earned search 
in owned, I'm sorry, earned shared in owned media, we may even at times consider boosting a post on LinkedIn or Facebook and add a little paid element into it as well. And so one idea generates four quadrants worth of peso material. And that's how this whole thing comes to better or comes together. Thought leadership marketing is all about taking the best elements of PR, social media, email marketing, content marketing, and maybe even some advertising and puts it all together in one powerful package that any one of those things in, in a silo cannot deliver on its own. End of TED Talk. All right. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm fired up, Tom. Yeah. I want to go out and create some content here. Right. Well, I know you reporters, will. whatever. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, think of the peso model when you do. I right? will. I will. Because for sure. there is actually, all joking aside, there is some consideration to, before we reflexively post this to a website, should we maybe pursue it with the media first? Because they love exclusivity and they love breaking things or being the first to cover something. So if you're thinking through the, the, the peso model holistically, there might be a natural sequence to follow so that you let the reporter break the news, you then put it on your blog or website, et cetera, right? Yeah. And then onto social media, so. For sure, yep. And, and we've seen that play out. I mean, we've just, just in the last couple of weeks, I mean, we've earned some, some um, interesting and, and valuable coverage for clients sort of with that, those same principles in mind. It takes a little bit of patience. You mm -hmm. have to be real targeted and strategic, you know, when thinking about communicating with reporters and, and patient again. Uh, but it can really, you can, you can create much greater impact if you just think about how, what's, what's the means uh, through which I can distribute this content to greatest effect. And, and oftentimes it requires, you know, that holistic, um, holistic evaluation of all of these channels for distribution. So, yep. yeah. And I just, I, I uh, maybe it was a Freudian slip earlier when I said search, but all of this in the aggregate does wonders for your search engine visibility, whether people are searching for things just on Google and they happen upon uh, say a media platform that you were published on, or they find your articles or they find your social media, right? And then they sign up for your newsletter. All of this stuff works and a lawyer can't be a thought leader if they're not discoverable and they're not out there and all of this stuff 